Welcome to the Dive Table. I'm Jay Gardner, and with me today, again, is our first co-host of Season 2, Miss Sarah Miller. Sarah, how are you doing today? Hey, I'm doing great. Yeah, uh, looking forward to this conversation. Uh, those of you who like to watch scuba diving content on YouTube might know me from Asul Unlimited, my little van life and scuba diving YouTube channel. And um, yeah, happy to be here to have a little conversation with you. Okay. Well, so episode one went so well that we're going to do episode two and hopefully this will go well that we do episode three. So uh, we said in the last one, whether you voted, it was a dumpster fire or uh, we did well or somewhere in between. Um, I feel like it. I I vote for the, it went really well. I I think I vote for that one. Um, I don't think it was a dumpster fire at all. I think it was great. So super happy to have you back. Um, And producer Daniel is here as well, which must mean we're recording another episode of the show. So for this episode, we wanted to get into a topic that is on both of our minds quite a lot, not only in our scuba lives and our scuba professional lives, but in our life kind of outside of scuba, which is training, right? Um, Training, training, training. And specifically, we wanted to focus on a specific aspect of training, which is the conditions for effective training. Now, this is, you know, sounds like maybe a a book like a, you you know you get the library or you know Kim's on the shelf at the airport. The conditions for effective training. No, no, no. We like we want to talk about like self help. <laughs> self help. Yeah. What like what do we think? What is our opinion? Because both you and I have been in the training other human beings game for a while, and I think our observations, both inside of scuba and outside of scuba, um, are are really interesting in the conversations we've had, and so. Um, what are the conditions? What makes for effective training? Um, and if if we can come to that, do they apply to scuba or do they apply elsewhere? You know, um, or how do they apply? So I think uh, I'm really looking forward to this episode and uh, and talking about you know an area that I think we're both um, very experienced. I won't say knowledgeable because we'll find out in the next hour, but I'll we'll still say we have a lot of experience in this idea of setting up the right conditions for training to be effective. Absolutely. Let's, let's get into it. Cause there's a lot to cover. There is. All right. So let's jump into it. A podcast for scuba divers everywhere. Take your seat at the dive table with your hosts, Jay Gardner and Sarah Miller. All right, so let's set this episode up, first of all, to say, ask, ask the primal question here, which is, what is, quote unquote, effective training, right? Um, so there's training, and then there's other training, and then there's effective training, right? So we have to kind of define this word effective, and we have to talk about, you know, why is training important? What does this term effective mean? And can you actually measure whether or not training is effective? Um, just from a kind of landscape perspective, again, every year, at least here in the U.S., businesses spend more than $80 billion. So remember in the last episode, we talked about um, how much scuba contributes to the uh, GDP, which is $11 billion. Um, training is – we spend more than $80 billion on training employees. And global spending has increased by, get this number, 400% in the last 11 years. So, I mean, it's wow. training is becoming more and more and more important um, you know, to us. And, and there's actually – And just to make this clear, it's training in like any term. Like the terminology is open. Like this isn't scuba related. Yeah, if this was scuba related, we would be like, yeah, yeah, we'd be living the high life, right? Like, I I wish this was just scuba, scuba, like to be a scuba trainer would be like the next, uh, you know, real profession everybody wants. (laughs) But maybe, maybe we'll get there. Maybe, maybe. Um, Yes. So, yes, this is worldwide um, real training, right? Real training, like, like, like everyday training, not just scuba. So. How to use Microsoft's, you know, suite and, you know, how to, you know, I've done a bunch of training on training coaches. So how do you coach Mm -hmm. teams, right? Things like that. So these all fall into that category of training, management, Mm -hmm. leadership, um, technical training, so on and so forth. Um, And to the point that 
there has been kind of a phrase that's come up, which is called training effective management, which is actually like kind of a trade and professional in uh, in itself, which is the use of scientifically validated techniques to evaluate the effectiveness of training programs. So it's really interesting. Again, the last 11 years, big boom in, in training in general to the point where it's creating other industries and other things. So obviously, you know, training – um, at least from a dollars and profession standpoint, it looks like it's pretty important to us, right? But I don't know. What do you think? Yeah, I I mean, training for anything in life, like I kind of view life in general as like I just train in everything. So like you get a new job, a new hobby, uh, you want to do a new workout routine, like you have to train, you have to get some kind of knowledge somewhere uh, and work on it, you know, practice it. Um, we can only go so far by ourselves, you know, and even just having a video, you know, a tutorial or something is better than us just out there making up stuff. You know, that's, that's part of the reason why YouTube has been so successful. It's because there is such a huge opportunity just to share training in that medium, you know, um, so it's, it's wildly important if we want to be like effective humans, you know, and, and part of society. Yeah. Yeah. I always think of training too, as like, if you're participating in training, it's almost like, you know, they always say there's no shortcuts in life. Um, but it is, it is a, it's short circuiting something because typically when you're being trained on something, it's stuff eventually you would know, right? Like eventually enough years putting on dive yeah. gear and being in the water, you would, you would figure how to breathe through a regulator right? <laughs> eventually, but, or figure out how to, you know, enter that piece of data in the spreadsheet, whatever the training that you're doing. But focused training is a short circuit to borrow and leverage other people's mm-hmm. experiences. And so it's like, yeah. you know, this, this whole thing of like, Yes, you can do it yourself and eventually you'll you'll get there, right? Just hopefully because you know, but truthfully training is the short circuit to not having to learn it the hard way, right? And that, and that's kind yeah. of like how I always think about it is like the value of it is it's saving you a lot of pain and 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 uh, you know, anguish. Because, yeah, you'll learn these lessons, but a good trainer is going to give you, save months, years, days, whatever the number is, off of that path for you. Um, And I think that there's a real value in that. So um, you're right. No matter what you're doing, a new job, a new hobby, you know, workout regime. Gosh, I've gotten training as a parent, you know, um, coaching as a parent because, gosh, there's things that we run up against you go like (sighs) – I have no idea how to do this or what we're doing here is not effective. So, you know, we talked to, um, you know, our, our coach, I think had six kids and they're just these little things that, that, that she'll tell us that's like, Oh, like, Oh, that makes sense. And they were learned through her experience of it. Right. And so, you know, I think I'm always up to, to get trained in something. Um, and I think it's, it's a super valuable thing. Um, but training is one thing and you can get trained, let's say, huh, how do you put this? I don't want to say incorrectly, but you, there are qualities. Let's put it that way. There's, there's a quality of training from, let's say, high to low that you can receive. Um, and so when we talk about the importance of training, we also have to tie it to the effectiveness of that training. So if you're intending mm-hmm. something – um, or you're intending a student to take something away, how do you kind of approach the word effective in, in training? Uh, well, I don't have, you know, science behind it. I don't, um, you know, do any of that kind of thing. My, uh, uh, the way that I know that my training is effective is by interactions with my students, right? So I know when a student can, like, not only do the skill or whatever it is that I'm training them on, uh, but also explain like how and why of what they've learned, like to use their own words and 
you know, repeat, like explain it back to me and then being able to apply that and use that skill in different situations, you know? So it's like, not just in the given, you know, environment of training, they know how to apply it in, in everything else. So that's without any numbers and science behind it. That's how I um, see if my training is effective, which has been really interesting uh, shifting into the online space of teaching on YouTube because you don't get that feedback. You know, we were talking before recording of the difference between being in a room with people and getting that, you know, you just can feel if what you're doing is effective or not. Whereas like right now you're just staring at a camera like, how do I know that the right message is going out? So for me doing it in this medium through my YouTube channel, I really, I probably spend too much time editing and like preparing videos, but I really look at it through the lens of like, will everyone understand this? Like, does this make sense? Does this flow in a way that is simple, right? Keep it simple. Um, that's really important for me because I, I don't want to make things more complicated than they need to be, you know? Yeah. I think that's a really, it's interesting because the perspective you're taking there, and I think it's the right one is effective is not whether you presented it well, right? Like that, that like, or you, like it has nothing really yeah. to do with you as the trainer it has everything to do with how it's received right? Like what do they do with that? And I think some, but there is a barrier for some people of like, oh, that was super effective because I performed really well as the trainer, right? Or as the coach or as the instructor. And I think like, no, 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 how we should judge it, just like you're saying is and how it's received and applied by the student, right? Mm -hmm. Or by the the person that you're training. Um, The opposite's true when you're evaluating a trainer, right? How effective was that training is how impactful was it to you, right? Like that's a good way to judge, you know, a good fit with an instructor is, you know, if you're, if you're making leaps and bounds in, in your diving, because the way that it's being explained and the, the exercises you're being asked to do and so on and so forth are elevating your diving, then I would say that you have an effective relationship with your trainer. Whereas if you're, feeling like, okay, I got it, but now I'm on my own. I really don't, I did it once and I got the check mark, but I really don't know what the heck that was for. Then maybe that's not as effective. So I think there's, you know, it's interesting because we're, you and I at least, and I think there's a lot of people in this position are both the trainer and the trainee. And oftentimes, you know, we have to switch between those things uh, left and right. Like, I think you were just doing, a while ago, the, the Choptima, right? The rebreather. So you're, you're back in the trainee mode. Whereas like today you could be teaching an open water class where you're the trainer mode. Right. And so like you had to switch yeah. and, and live in those worlds. But yeah, I think looking at effectiveness from the view of the person that's being trained is number one, the, the, the first step, right. In, in defining something effective. And then the second piece is then, again, taking it beyond the, it was said and they heard it, therefore, you know, like it, it's it's received, right? That's the basic communication cycle, right? Um, it's, it was said, they heard it, they took it, they changed the behavior and it caused this impact. And it's actually interesting because there's this model called Kirkpatrick's four-level training evaluation model. It's, uh, you know, you can look it up. Um, if you're out there and you're interested in this, but essentially it's that it's the reaction to the training, the learning that's gained, the behavior train change that comes from that training, and then the impact. And those four things are each evaluated on their own and have a suite of metrics underneath them and so on and so forth. If you want to get more scientific, but I think that's a good frame to think about. Like at the end of the day, Sarah's training somebody. If, they can do the the task but have no idea you know why they would ever want to do it again and how they would apply it in their diving beyond the course that's probably not effective right um versus yeah they can 
Yeah. And unfortunately, you see that happen all the time. Like we were talking in the last episode about getting the proper training. I mean, I can't even tell you the amount of times I've seen uh, dive operators offer, you know, two and a half or three day open water courses. And it's like, good Lord, you know, you just, you can't take in. I mean, sure. There are people that probably come out of it feeling fine. They feel like they have gotten effective training, but I think the majority of people would not feel great with that, you know? And it's, um, you know, it's really about taking the time to make sure that people get enough practice and reps, you know, and understand the whys behind things. Cause you know, there's a lot of stuff in diving that if you don't understand the why, like it makes no sense why you're spending so much time on it. Like the CISA, right? Controlled emergency swimming ascent. If you don't explain what's happening, like what is the setup of that and why you're doing it? People are just like, why? Okay. Uh, you know? Yeah. Good. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Like it's important, you know, and it's not that hard to set it up, but that goes into the further level of training instructors properly so that they can be effective instructors. You know, it's, it's this whole thing. Like you have to, you have to start from the beginning and make sure that that effective training goes up all the way through, because then those people at the top are training the next generation, you know? And I think we're seeing a lot with uh, the expansion of tropical water destinations and people traveling more there's unfortunately like a lot of shortcuts in training because people are trying to get cheaper courses and, and whatever it is. So, you know, it comes at a cost of not getting the training that you need. Yeah. You know, it's interesting in, um, if you, if you study sound, I I was obsessed in high school. It sounds really weird, but with, (laughs) with the idea of sound, like, you know, the, how, how does it it. move? Right. (laughs) Uh, yeah, you, unfortunately, you have to listen to this story. Other people can turn it off, right? Uh, but you you have to listen to this one. No, I love it. Um, I love it. I'm a music nerd, so let's do it. Oh, good, good. So music nerd. So again, yeah. and, and then you think about the fidelity of a recording, right? The fidelity of something that you're going to listen to. And, you know, when you think about the levels of that, there's, you know, the absolute you're in person and you're getting the highest quality, right? You're there. But then you get the recording and you go, okay, well, what's that? And that's what people call like a hi-fi, right? Is it's it's data mm-hmm. points essentially, right? So a needle on a, a piece of vinyl, right, is a high fidelity transfer of data in some ways. The way that that's printed. Well, then you start to look into okay. Well, then they took that and they made tapes from those recordings, right? Okay, but the tapes weren't as big as the the vinyl physically. So how do they do that, right? Well, they lop off a little bit of the data, right, and and mm-hmm. they have an encoder. That's why you have a tape player. Then you get into CDs and CDs were the exact same thing where we, you know, if you look at old CDs, they're like anywhere between, you know, 10 and and 20 gigs, not even 20, 20 is a high end. It's like, you know, I think five and 10 gigs for an entire album of data. Well, at that point, you're putting it into a CD player that essentially the data points are getting spread farther and farther apart and the CD player is making up the difference. So there's point A and point B that's supposed to make this, and the player is what makes up the difference. And now you'll see a song that used to be a gig of data in Spotify that's like three megs. You know, it's gone from this big, right. this big. And in fact, in CDs, if you look at it, there's actually high fidelity CDs. And the it's like a 50 gig, like, you know, piece of data. And you have to have a special CD player. And you listen to like Pink Floyd's The Wall on that. And you listen to their original like CD, you're like, whoa, I missed all of this stuff because you missed all that data, right? Um, that was in there, the quality. Right. MP3s, so on and so forth, make it smaller and smaller. And they start with just lopping off point blank the things that we think we can't hear in the human ear. It's like these frequencies and these frequencies, lows mm. and highs, we can't hear. They're gone. We're taking care of that data. And then we spread the data points farther and farther and farther and farther apart to make the files smaller and smaller and smaller. So eventually what you're really listening to in a three meg, you know, song is the decoder, not the data that's been encoded. 
right? And you can do this little test if you want. I, I love to do it with my girls. It's like I have a vinyl player with an old 60 stereo that's tube driven, the whole deal like that I've rebuilt for years, probably for 10 years I've been working on this thing, right? And I'll play a that's song so cool. for them on that and I'll play the same song using the Google Home and say, well, what do you think the differences were? I'm like, well, that one's so much better. Like that, that band's way better. And you're like, it's the same band. It's the same song. It's the same recording. It's just in a different format, right? And I think that that's, that analogy really holds true with training. When you start lopping off bits to spread it out mm-hmm. and spread it out, the, the consequences years later are people, instructors don't know what they don't know. And that's what I run into a lot yeah, with exactly. instructors is they don't know yes. what they don't know. And they're doing the best they can. It's not really their fault. But somewhere down that chain of line where we spread the data points out farther and farther and farther and farther, now there are instructors out there with your example who who don't who understand what a CISA is, but maybe don't understand the context and how to actually bring that to a real diving scenario where there's correlation that exists in the student's mind because they haven't correlated it yet. It's just a skill that yeah. they practice and so on and so forth. So uh, again, effectiveness, we, we could spend a whole, you know, hours probably talking about how scuba training got here. But I think the important thing that's salient for this episode is, you know, I think that there has to be, let's say we can define retention as, or effectiveness as retention and application, at least, right? That mm-hmm. they retain what it is and they're able to apply it would be effective in in a lot of ways. Um, you know, I would even go as far as to say they can correlate it to real diving, which is, I think, what you're saying, the how and the why of what they've learned um, and apply that knowledge outside of the course, outside of a, you know, on a line, you know, take the regular air out, put it back in. Like that's so far outside of what real diving would be. Can they correlate what that yeah. would be? Oh, I got kicked in the face by a fin, you know, <laughs> and my regular came out like I've got to recover it and put it back in or I've got to switch to the necklace or the backup or whatever, right? Like th- this is the correlation. And then when you get kicked in the face, cause you will <laughs> by a fin and your regular gets kicked out of your mouth. Hey, look, it's not just a skill on a line. It's actually a real life, you know, um, yeah. reaction. That I have there was a point. There was a point to training this. Yeah, no, absolutely. Good. So I, I agree. I think, I think that's a good way to approach, at least in this episode, effectiveness, um, right? That, that word. Cause I mean, you could define it lots of different ways. Um, and unfortunately in scuba, it's not like we can, you know, evaluate the accuracy of the code they wrote, right? You could, you could say like, if I'm training um, developers, then the people that come out of that should be able to write code within this percentage error of accuracy. Um, we don't have that. <laughs> so, so we have to say like, yeah, well, I mean, we have like a really basic sort of way of doing that, right? That's the standards of the organization that you teach for. So that, you know, as long as they are passing the standards, then that's kind of, unfortunately, that's probably not the effectiveness that we're discussing, but at least there's something, right. you know? <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. Yeah, unfortunately, I think sometimes those get boiled down to checklists, at least in my yes. experience. And that's where like yes, the do. standards become... You're right. If we were teaching the standard, that becomes the quality control. Um, But unfortunately, again, the more and more you lop off in the understanding of things, the the more that it becomes a checkbox rather than a correlated skill. Oh, for sure. I mean, anytime that you've ever seen an instructor who's unfamiliar with teaching a rescue course, you'll see that like, I mean, it's so clear so clear how effectiveness can be lost because that course takes a lot of preparation and understanding to make it something that um, that makes the difference between somebody who's just hit the check box and somebody who could actually respond in an accident in an yeah. emergency yeah. you know it's very very clear I have seen so many people teach, the rescue course to just, you know, the standards of the organization, but the students, like I've talked to some post course, you know, that I've observed and whatever, they're like, I kind of feel like I want to redo that course, yeah. you know, and that's unfortunate, like that shouldn't happen. But, you know, people, 
don't know what they don't know. Right. Right. Yeah. Yeah. And that rescue course I think is, is, is a really good, um, let's say Petri dish for this word effectiveness, because you're talking about high stress. I wouldn't call it necessarily high skill that you need. Like there are skills, but it's not necessarily like a high, like a, you know, there's a ton of, ton of skills. It's more the high stress and reaction that, you know, what to do. It's more mental than it is the, the physical skill. And so that, that's a good way, like, that's a good one to think about effectiveness in. I didn't think about it that way because then you're going back to like, is it just a rote skill? It, it kind of can get hidden in an open water class, right? Because yeah, they can remove the regular, they can put it back in, they can clear their mask. Yeah. In a rescue class, it's really testing your thinking and your, mm-hmm. your reaction to something more than like they can do a toe, right? Like we do a toe in open water. Right. Like it's the, the toe is not the most important thing. It's do you realize that you need to tow them or do you need to start doing breaths right now? Or do you need to, you know, what do you need to do? Um, that's a really good, uh, maybe that's a area for researchers to focus on someday. Um, in effectiveness. Okay, good. I think we've got effectiveness handled. So let's get into this next part about the conditions for that to occur. So let's focus maybe on scuba because uh, again, we can go lots of different angles here. We can pull in different things, but in scuba, um, what is required of, of a student? What's required of an instructor? What's required of, of an environment um, that's being created or the setup and so on and so forth in order for effective training to kind of occur? What's What's been your experience in that? Yeah, well, I, I already kind of hinted to it. It's preparation, you know. Um, it's making sure that you understand. So as a student, you understand what you've signed up for. And you have gone through the homework, right? You've gone through the material. You know uh, what you're what you're responsible for, you know, before showing up on that first day. And because of um, e-learning these days, that's usually the online theory. So you should have done all of your reading, uh, watched all the videos, you know, done all of the pre-water stuff. Right. So that's in my mind, that's really what the student is responsible for. Uh, they can't really do much else. Right. Like that's that's all they can do. Um, as for the instructor, it's also being prepared and going back to that rescue course example, uh, you know, not only having your slates as an instructor, cause it's okay to teach courses and like have your slates with you. Like we try to, when, whenever we do instructor development courses uh, with a soul unlimited, we tell them like, take your slates, have your reference, just like you would, if you were speaking in front of a group of people, you have your notes to make sure that you don't miss anything. You know, you have slates for a reason. So you take that, but you also spend the time to understand the environment that you're going to be in and make the training into something that's like real life. You know, what are they actually going to encounter? How are they going to see those skills show up in a real, on a real dive day from a boat or from a dock or wherever you are? Cause that for me, especially for the rescue is probably the most important thing and something that I really spend a lot of time on when I'm doing a rescue course in a new place is understanding what could actually go wrong here. What are the realistic scenarios that you're going to encounter with clients in this area, right? And setting the scene. Like for me, I absolutely love teaching the rescue. So I love sitting and like thinking what kind of ridiculous things, realistic, but also fun, you know, cause you want the course to be fun too. I think that helps with the learning process. If people are, are able to reflect on it with a smile, right? Yeah. Like it might be really intense in the moment, but then they look back and they're like, man, that was really neat or that, you know, um, that was funny or whatever. Um, So, you know, coming up and thinking about like, okay, I have these assistants that can help me here. And what can I do 
in this environment that makes the most sense, that's the most realistic, and will keep people on their toes, right? So it's taking that time to really be prepared. And you may need to, you know, ask questions of other instructors, you know, how did you handle this? Like, what's the best way to do this? Um, And that's all part of the preparation side of things, you know, but so often as instructors, especially brand new instructors, you're kind of thrown into the deep end and you're like, all of a sudden you're working and you haven't gotten your own training on the job, you know? Uh, So it, it does take effort on your end as an independent contractor or, you know, an employee to make sure that you are prepared. And as for environment in any kind of diving, you need to make sure that you choose the environment that's appropriate for the skill level, right? So you're not going to do, uh, you know, open water DSD, some, some place that you would feel pretty confident taking a rescue diver, you know, um, whether it's like drift diving, you know, uh, surge, low visibility, whatever, like there's, there's certain things that you have to make decisions that are appropriate for the skill level that you're teaching. Yeah. Yeah. I think that's really well said. I I love that idea of preparation and the, you know, there's an old saying that for every one thing a student learns, the instructor learns a hundred. Um, oh, I like to yeah. apply that like to the prep <laughs> for every hour of prep that you expect of your students. How many hours does that require for you as the instructor, right? 10, 15, a hundred, five, like whatever that ratio is. But I think sometimes, you know, the, the level of preparation from the instructor is maybe less than the level of preparation from the student. And I think that that's, if that happens, it's probably not going to be an effective training. Like even no matter how well, good you are. I feel like I I can push back a little bit on that. Um, You know, if you're in a place that you are very familiar with, you're familiar with the environment, right? And you're doing open waters all the time. You know, you, you probably don't need to put as much, as many hours into like what your students put in to read the materials, right? Because you've done it a million times. But the thing that you have to be careful about is to not get complacent and lazy because you are very confident in what you're teaching and where you're teaching it, right? So there's there's that aspect that needs to be balanced that you need to keep coming at it with a fresh eye of like, how can I still be better? How can I, you know, relay this information or present this, this training in a way that's going to be best for them, you know? Yeah. Yeah. And I think like you're saying in the scenario that you're in a very familiar environment, doing a very familiar course, right? In a very familiar weather conditions, you've already put those hours in when you got to that point, right? So, I mean, the the numbers still work out. It's just a different, like, it's not like saying every time that you teach a course, if you're in the same place, it's that equation, but the equation's already unbalanced. The student put in an hour and you've been teaching this course for you know uh, the whole summer. You've put in thirty right of prep work, and mm-hmm. you know what's going to happen, right? Or or you you you're prepared for what's going to happen. But I still think you're right. The vigilance because people learn in different ways. The minute you think mm-hmm. you've seen it all, you know, a student's going to pull something <laughs> that you, you never saw coming, right? Um, you know, people still surprise you. So it's still that vigilance of like don't don't get. There's a line between you know, complacency and preparedness. And sometimes those can get blurred. So I think you're right. It's like, you know, yeah, again, like the the equation should always skew, I think, towards the instructor side. There's courses I've taught non-scuba that I know about the back of my hand. But the situation or the people or the whatever is different and, you know, or whatever it is. And so like I have hours on them in, in the content and the preparation of it but I still have to stay vigilant in the application of it because that's where Mm -hmm. people are going to get out of it. So yeah, totally. Um, I think that's good. I think also too, from the student's perspective, like you're saying, do the work, like don't expect returns without putting in the work, right? Like that, that there's no instructor in the world that's that good. Like if the student's not willing to put in the work, you're going to still walk out of there with like, 
exactly what you wanted or, or what what the training was intended to do. So you have to do the work pre, right? And during the course, like, you know, be, be open to it. I mean, I've seen some courses where, you know, I don't think a course is a time where, well, how do I put this nicely? A course is not the time to show off how good of a diver you are. And I see that mm. often where it's like, I'm going to use this course to be, I want to be perfect in every aspect of it. And, I, and sometimes I have that pressure for myself, right? Because like, I shouldn't, I shouldn't silt up anything. And then like, I was in a course in a tech course and I, I had a moment where I'm like, where's all, is that me that's silting up the bottom right there? It is me. Like, oh my gosh. Like, no, no, no. Like, oh my gosh. You know, slap, slap, slap. Like, um, okay. You know, but, but you got to put in, in that work in that sense and then and not come to it that you are you already know this is just a formality right maybe that's the 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 sometimes the mindset i've seen from folks is like oh this is just a formality i already have all these skills as a cave diver no you don't you know maybe not and so i i think of that as like you know the this law of readiness um which is i'm going to be ready to receive what's given to me I'm going to have an open mind and open perspective um, to, to take something new. I think that that is the student's responsibility. It's my responsibility as a student to come with that, that law of readiness in place. I am ready to receive. Um, and sometimes you come to, to a course and you're ready to receive and maybe it was not the right course for you. So you don't receive a whole lot, but it's that it's a mindset. It's a perspective. It's all of those things. Yeah, like a lightheartedness, right? Like an ability to laugh at yourself. Like that's, I think that's what you're you're kind of getting at. Um, and anybody that has done training has had those moments. I mean, I've shared often about my experience, my first time in sidebound. Like I was a mess, you know? Um, and just with, uh, I was trying out the Choptima rebreather the other day. And um you know, I was wanting to record it to share with my YouTube channel and Itor, who was giving me the, the lowdown and explaining everything, I uh, was like, okay, so we'll do some swimming around and, and then I'll start recording you once you look good. And I'm like, no, 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 no. Like, let's get all the messy, you know, the big cheeks of too much air and like, you know, having to blow <laughs> bubbles because I don't know what the heck I'm doing, you know, like I want all of that because I think that's what you're saying is important. You know, we, we can't take ourselves too seriously. Like that's the joy of learning is, is that like being able to just laugh and, and have fun, not knowing things. Yeah. I, I think not taking yourself seriously is, is important when you're in the role of a student, like you're there to learn and you're there to, to, yeah. to be wrong. Right. And I think, you know, that that's one of the beauty of beauties of, I think, training in general, but especially in scuba is that not only are you in a beautiful place, a beautiful environment, so on and so forth, but there's somebody there who you can be wrong in front of, right. You don't have to be right. You're mm-hmm. not going to be evaluated on your, you know, your paycheck, whether or not you got, you got it right. Um, but I do think sometimes, the ego can get in the way and, and go like, well, I'm already, I already have X amount of dives or I was, you know, already have these C cards, you know, like you, you're telling me something that I learned back in my open water to adjust. Like, for example, I was, I was teaching, um, in the water with a a very, very, very seasoned diver, um, who knows his stuff and all that. And what I noticed in, you know, in our work together was as he came back from his, his frog kick, he would, then kind of reset his his natural reset position was fins out, right? Kind of turned out. And so all of that mm. propulsion gain that he he got from that frog kick, he was kind of putting brakes on at the very end because he yeah. left his, his legs, you know, when they reset, they came out and kind of put the brakes on. I mean, that's a little thing. It didn't look bad. It does, you know, it's probably not um, gonna change his diving, you know, but I pointed it out and and I said, hey, like, you know, take a look at this. We had the video. I said, take a look at this. Like when you reset um, into a neutral position, your fins actually pop out. And that, that sidewall of, of the blade of the fin is acting as a break, right? Because the water's fluid, you're moving in one direction and that's actually, you know, forcing the water against that. And he was like, 
you know, for him, that was a huge epiphany. He's like, you know what? I've been through so many courses and worked on this kick for so long. No one has ever said that to me. And I have like, and it makes total sense. And, and he started to work on it a little bit. And again, did we gain like massive efficiency gains in his, in his, you know, frog kick? No, but we got a more streamlined and more efficient diver who's more aware of his foot positions, right? For when he's doing yeah. other things. So it's, it's the same thing. Like no matter how seasoned you are, no matter how, you know, incredible of a diver or how many cards you have, there's always room for something to grow. And, and, and I think like being open to that is the student's responsibility. Now on the other side of the fence, the instructor's responsibility, yes, is, is coming prepared, but I think is also from an instructor's perspective to be effective. I think of an instructor of anything, you have to have a backpack full of tools. So mm-hmm. no one learns the exact same way, right? Yeah. And so effectiveness, if we're judging it by the outcome of the student, not by how well I did as the instructor, is having a backpack full of tools to be able to maybe explain something in a different way. Or to show it Absolutely. in a different way, or or to create an environment or a situation, not the, that's not the same for every single student, right? We have to be able to observe what the student's doing. We have to be able to intervene with some sort of tool that we have in our toolbox to then move that student forward to get to that correlation spot, right? And so, I think as an instructor, it's not just about learning the content. In different ways, it's actually learning how to um, intervene, building your backpack up. Which is there's multiple ways to do that, and, and I'll tell one stupid story here, and then and let you respond to this. I've been talking a lot, but like for example, <laughs> potty training. So this is just for you instructors out there oh, that want to talk about you know, you know, scuba. I get it, but I'm going to give you the the best example here, um, which is uh, potty training. My my first my first kid. You know, we we're like okay like classic, you know, behavior reward training, right? We're, we're back to Pavla. So we got these little mini M&Ms, right? That perfect. Like when you use the potty on your own, we're going to celebrate. So I do a stupid dance. Like, Woo, this is so funny. You did it. I can't believe it. And then you get a little M&M and it was like, yeah, we want to reward that behavior. It's great. Right. And it worked brilliantly. Right. My, my daughter's like way ahead of the schedule of the potty training. She's feeling confident, all that stuff. Until it didn't, because then all of a sudden my daughter learns how to essentially, because she learns, hey, I get an M&M every time I go to the bathroom a little bit. She learns how to control when she's going to go. So she would literally go to the bathroom, (laughs) get her M&M, stupid dance. And like five minutes later, I got to go potty. And of course, as a parent, you're like, okay, let's go. And you go. And she totally hacked the system where she could like eat M&Ms all day long. And it, it was brilliant. Yes. And it's like, okay, like this whole, like, I thought I was so smart in my reward, you know, um, system here and you hacked the system. And so now I have to figure, or like my third kid, um, none of our kids ever got out of their crib, right? Never. Our third one, all of a sudden figured like we're sitting there one night and she comes walking out with the biggest smile as a little two-year-old, like, look at me. We're like, how did she do that? How did she climb down her kid? This has never happened before. And we have the experience of two other children that we went through and then you're the third. Like, So the point in parenthood is always like, do you have a backpack full that you can move on to the next thing because this is no longer effective? And and that that's a really, really important thing for an instructor, I think. And oftentimes I think in IDCs, unfortunately, because they're time-stamped and there isn't that continuing care, um, that mm-hmm. sometimes it really gets hard for um, an instructor to to build that backpack and and to process those things with other instructors, um, you know, so that so that their experience level starts to grow and things like that. So I promised I would shut up after the potty story, so I will. <laughs> <laughs> no, absolutely. Um, I think it's a it's a good point that you bring up about the IDC, and that's something that uh, I think some people don't really know when they're looking into instructor development courses. Like I actually prefer when I'm teaching them, you know, I turn, I still teach occasionally these um, instructor development courses. Like we um, like to have more people in it, obviously not like a big, big group because then you get lost, but like, 
you know, between five and 10 is a really nice number for an instructor development course because of that, because you get to watch all of the other instructors make mistakes and solve problems in different ways. And that allows you to log it in your, your memory or put it in your backpack, as you, as you said. Um, I think, you know, without being around people, because again, a lot of times when you're working full-time as an instructor, you're like on your own, right? You're working your tail off and you're on your own. So the way that you can get that information is from things like videos and podcasts and books, right? Like reading accident reports, you know, that kind of stuff gives you information and, and fills that backpack for you. Um, when you were talking about uh, being able to, you know, adjust your teaching technique, it reminded me of a story that I, I don't think I've ever told actually. Um, and it's from my very, very early days of diving. And I'll never forget this. It's not like crazy, but it just, it made an impact on me as a brand new dive professional. I was in Thailand doing my dive master certification. And I remember I was assisting with uh, an advanced course. Okay. And this was somebody who did the open water course and was going straight into the advanced, right? So like no dives in between, just like <laughs> boom, 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 going through it. And, uh, the student, she was struggling so much with the compass and the instructor who I was assisting. And yeah, anyway, this instructor was just repeating the same thing over and over again, right? She was giving the same exact explanation, the same references, like, you know, it's kind of like that, um, when you're talking to somebody in a, in their second language where you just speak louder to them, right. you're like, that's not helping me understand anything. Right. Right. right exactly. Like, the volume of your voice does not do anything for me. Right, right. So she was just repeating the same thing over and over. And I could see this, this girl was so frustrated, you know, she couldn't figure it out. And I, I was like 24 at the time. So I didn't know how to sort of manage this situation, but I sat down with her in between a dive and I explained it in a different way. And I saw the light bulb click in, in her eyes, right? She was like, Oh, okay. And wouldn't you know <laughs> that the instructor then got super pissed off at me, of course, yeah. like got so mad at me for overstepping or whatever. And I was that was one of the first instances of feeling, um, I don't know, I've been put off from the scuba industry a lot, you know, over the years. I love it. I love its pieces, but, and that's why I'm still here, but there are lots of moments and it's usually when egos are involved, yeah. right? Because she probably felt embarrassed that she didn't have the tools to approach that situation. And so instead of learning something, hopefully, you know, that person has learned something, but instead of that got mad, yeah. right. And felt insecure. And so that just pinged in my brain of like, I don't ever want to respond in that way. Maybe I have because I'm human and I'm, you know, I'm not perfect. Um, but I want to try my best to not respond in that way as an instructor, like to be open-minded, like we've talked about, be able to take feedback, right. And constructive criticism, um, and, and take that all as learning data, you know, put it all in that backpack. I don't know. Yeah. I, that just, that's funny that that popped into my brain. Cause I, I literally haven't thought about that in a very, very long time. Yeah, no, it's a great example. I mean, it's a great example of, of, Again, the ego, like, and, and even sometimes too, you, like, I remember I was in the back of a, of a Uber in some city. I, maybe we're in, I think we were in Singapore. We just got done with a whole leadership session that I was super somewhat nervous about because it was high, high level leaders. Right. And, and I got in the, the, the Uber with a friend or with a, not a friend with a, my colleague who was there with the training with me. And I said, well, do you have any feedback for me? And he started to go through like, well, this part and this, you know, give me, and I'm like, just, just stop. I got mad. 
I was like, just stop. Like, stop, stop, stop. Like, no, no, no. I'm like, no, I don't want to hear this right now. This is really what you're going to give me right now? He's like, oh, you know, I thought you wanted feedback. No, no, no. And I realized later in the evening, like, when I said, hey, do you have any feedback? I wanted praise. Hey, you did a great job. It was right. wonderful. Because well, I, I felt good about it. I felt like I wanted to release. And what he was giving me was really the the feedback, the honest piece of, like, observation that he had made where maybe there was areas for improvement or things that didn't go great or that stuff mm-hmm. is what I actually asked for. But that's what he was giving me. But I didn't want that, right? And I think we get in yeah. that situation, same thing of, like, I'm the instructor. I know it. And someone else had a different way and it broke through. I I should have had that, right? That's my 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 space you're in. And I think it's a good thing to keep in mind that like like you said earlier, there's no way we will ever know everything about scuba. I think for instructors out there, there's no way you will ever know everything about instructing scuba, right? It is impossible. Yeah. So the more that you can glean, and I would, I would say too, because often instructors are on sometimes literally an island right? <laughs> like by themselves, uh, but, but metaphorically an island sometimes working your tail off. Um, I think more sharing maybe, and that sounds really light and fluffy, but I don't think it is. I think it's intentional Mm-mm. that like yeah. sharing what happens, you know, not being yes. okay with like this went well and this didn't you know, or, or just having those, like I always joked with a lot of the the coaches that I worked with in these things that the actual learning happened at dinner because you had a whole day where you were mm. with teams and you, you know, were dealing with it. And then at dinner, there was this release of like, well, this is what I dealt with today. Oh, and this is how I, how I, what I tried. These are the seven different things I tried to make it happen. And here's the results. The, the learning actually happened over dinner the growth happened over dinner and those were so important to go to dinner. Don't skip dinner because that's where you actually learn after a day worth. And a similar thing can be true for the instructors of like the learning happens at dinner after the course is over discussing it with other instructors is where the growth and the, the new tools get added to the backpack. Yeah. It's, it's all about the reflection, right? And a lot of it is being able to step back and have real self reflection, right? Because what I see over and over is we always, and this goes for any industry, just humanity in general, we want to put ourselves in the best light, you know, and that's not going to be the way that you actually learn. You have to look and be like, man, I really screwed up that time. Like that was okay. Like how, how do I not do that next time? You know, and like you said, sharing is so important. That's why, I mean, I don't do it as often anymore. I should probably bring it back. But like talking about some of the the dumb stuff that I've done, you know, as a professional, as a diver, like I was just, I posted um, about my most recent dive. I went inside mount with um, uh, free diving fins just to like, why not? And um <laughs> And I, I haven't put it together yet, but um, I shared about it in my Patreon community that like only the hotel staff and the one person on the beach knows how that beach exit was because I didn't have a camera set up or anything. But let me tell you, it was not graceful. It was not graceful at all. You know, um, you're doing the turtle crawl out of the water, huh? Yeah. Oh, oh my God. It was it was bad, but it was, it was safe. It was fine, but it just wasn't, it wasn't what I would have. I would have loved to have a camera recording that. Cause I would share that cause it's important. It's important to, to talk about where we messed up and be humble enough to like, look at it as, okay, that's a learning, a learning point. Yeah, no, it's great. Well, let's wrap this one up. I think this has been great. Yeah. Um, this, let's wrap this one up. I mean, I think so. So based on all of that, if we draw some, maybe light conclusions here, <laughs> not, not, we're not changing, you know, the everything, but some light, cause gosh, this could be like 20 episodes, but you know, my brain runs away from me. Um, <laughs> so if you're out there, any, any kind of parting advice that you have for students or instructors that like are looking at how do I get into, or how do I provide effective training? I, it's all about the questions, you know, ask all the questions. There are no dumb questions. If 
your mentor makes you feel stupid for asking the questions, find a new mentor. Yeah. Like that's to me, that's everything being open-minded and, and just being curious, you know? Yeah. Yeah. I mean, I think that that kind of correlates to the law of readiness, right? That, mm-hmm. that look, I, I'm aware of what I don't know. And when those questions are there, it's because you're aware that you don't know the answer to them. Right. And you feel like there's, mm-hmm. there's safety to ask the question. So I think for, for a student, it's, it's all about like, for me, I, when I'm going to be a student, I, I tend to over prep. So for example, this last course I just took, like I had to do no prep. I was kind of forced in that situation because the instructor was like, nope, I'm not going to tell you what to work on before I come Just show up. And I was like, yeah, but what, what do I need to work on? Nope. Just show up. And there's a reason for that because they, they wanted to see me in the water as I was, not as I was mm-hmm. trying to protect, project myself to be, which is that law of readiness, right? How are you? How do you show up? And then from there, it was a matter of, okay, how do we actually advance? And so, again, sometimes people call this beginner's mind, um, you know, readiness. You know, I always think of the visual of kind of an open hands rather than a crossed arms of like, I'm ready to receive um, if visualization helps you. But I think from a student perspective we and from an instructor perspective, that idea that we're always ready to receive a new tool, a new skill, a new way of thinking of things um, that we're not so locked into our way of doing it that we, that we miss like your instructor in your story about the comp or, you know, compass work missed an opportunity to take away from you a tool in her toolbox. And I think that mm-hmm. that's happens, um, you know, when we're, when we have those crossed arms, when we, when we no longer are, have a, the law of readiness at our, at our forefront, Um, And I think for instructors, I I think, again, a lot of instructors out there, this is kind of a hobby more than a job. Um, You know, unfortunately, you're not getting paid enough to work this full time. So I know that there's a lot of people that are, you know, weekend instructors or part-time instructors and those sorts of things, Mm -hmm. which I totally get. Uh, But I think for, for all of us as instructors, it's important to not just look at scuba for those tools, right? Every yeah. day we, we have ways that we can add tools to our toolbox, whether it's through parenting or interactions with colleagues or, you know, um, dog training, what I've been going through with the new pup that we adopted. Like, you know, there's, there's ticks, trips. I can never say this tips and tricks. There it is that you can pick up in all walks of life mm-hmm. that you end up adding to your scuba, you know, and it makes you a better instructor. So I think again, if you want to be effective as an instructor, Build that toolbox, add to it, add to it, you know, and, and, and kind of stay away from the cookie cutter. I did it this way. Therefore, I'm going to always do it this way. Or, you know, like, like Sarah said, the slate is not a bad reference point, but if you're a buy the slate course and you can't tell me, you know, when someone gets stuck, how to, how to do it differently, that's an area to kind of like be, bring some self-awareness and intention around if you're an instructor out there like that. So, mm-hmm. um, so yeah, I think I think that law of readiness, always being ready to receive, um, never knowing where that reception is going to come from, and oftentimes, honestly, the ones that teach us the most as instructors are the students. And so again, you know, mm-hmm. that's an ego thing. You go into it like crossed arms. I'm the instructor. I know what I'm doing, and I have to defend myself and my my honor and my knowledge. That's going to be a tough course to take anything away from because the students often have something to teach you. Yeah. Yeah. And that mindset of like, oh, if you don't get it, then that's your problem. Like, absolutely not. Like, if you don't get it, that is 100% on me not being able to adapt and figure out how to get you there, you know? Yeah. Yeah. Well, good. I mean, I thought cool. I thought this was a cool discussion. Um, you know, it's yeah. maybe it adds to uh, you know the the scuba verse out there in terms of um, how we approach training. I mean, it's it's an important piece of scuba in general, and I think uh, the approach to it in a lot of ways and the mindset to it is as important as maybe the co- the course content in in a lot of ways, right? What you're actually going to put mm-hmm. in the course content to get through. So. I had fun. I thought it was a good, good discussion. Absolutely. Um, yeah. Good. So we focused on conditions of 
for effective training. Um, we'd love to hear your thoughts. Hey, seasoned instructors out there, what do you think some of the conditions are for effective training? Hey, seasoned students like me out there, um, where have where have you felt like there's been effective uh, training, and that what were the what were the parts of that that made it effective for you? Um, we'd love to hear from you. So so uh, reach out to me, reach out to Sarah. Um, let us know that you're out there. We'd love to hear your stories. Who knows? Maybe we'll we'll share them on the next episode that we record. Hey, we heard from so and so on the last one. This is what happened. So we'd love to hear from you. So don't be afraid to reach out. Um, AzulUnlimited.com or the divetable.com reach out to us let us know that you're out there and what your what your thoughts what do we miss on the show what what are your thoughts out there absolutely and if you enjoyed this episode and want to be a part of this growing community you can join us by subscribing to the podcast wherever you listen to your podcasts and uh, you know make sure you get notified so you don't miss an episode awesome all right any parting thoughts I've no, I I've got to charge all of my batteries in the van. So this is a good place to end our time here. This has been awesome. Thank we you for having me. Completely drained your batteries. <laughs> That's when you know the episode's going to be good. When we have completely drained Sarah's batteries, then it's going to be a great episode. Look out! This one's going to the number one on the charts. Uh, the oh, batteries gosh. have been drained. <laughs> <laughs> All right, everyone. Thank you for joining us today. And we look forward to having you back on the next episode of The Dive Table. The Dive Table is a production of Fish Dive Surf Incorporated and a member of the Fish Dive Surf Podcast Network. You can find out more at www.fishdivesurf.com. 